when the automobile got started, it gave people much more time to be able to do other things instead of just traveling or walking the whole way. They're able to drive there and get there at a much quicker pace and use that time for other things. That's the same thing for this. We want to detect things early on so that we can reduce the amount of cancer or infectious diseases that spread because they're treated almost immediately when it's easiest to treat. Preventative is the best, but the second best is right when you get infected or right when it starts to grow. And that's when we want to help people get treatment. Welcome to Healthcare on the Horizon. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. Healthcare on the Horizon is about where things stand now with the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of specific diseases and how things might change with those in the future. We hope you'll find the information here useful in an educational sense, but also perhaps in a more personal way should you, a family member, or a friend have one of the medical conditions we cover. Please note, the information shared on this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for the advice provided by your physician or any other healthcare professional. Hi, everybody. Is it time for improvements to be made in how lab tests are performed and communicated? And could getting the results of a lab test promptly and accurately be a matter of life or death? You betcha the answer to these questions. My guest expert, Nate Keel of Vanguard Laboratories and Keel Medical, is at the forefront of all this. To learn what Nate has to say about lab testing and some of the advances we're seeing and are likely to see with lab testing, please stay tuned for this episode of Healthcare on the Horizon. To learn more about Nate Keel, Listen to the episode and be sure to check the show notes. And please, don't forget to check out my other podcast, Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Okay, let's get started. Hi, Nate. Welcome to Healthcare on the Horizon. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you on. One of the things that Healthcare on the Horizon likes to focus on, of course, is breakthroughs new things that are happening in healthcare and medicine. And that's really why we brought you on today, Nate. And I think our listeners are going to be very excited to hear what you have to say. Before we get into that, can you tell us just a little bit more about your educational background, your work experience, and when and why you founded Vanguard Laboratories? Yeah, that's a great question. I started Vanguard Laboratories in 2021 during the pandemic. Initially, I started another company called Keel Medical, which was a sales and marketing company for laboratories across the country. I had always known that I wanted to start a company, but I didn't know what it was going to be for or what product I was going to sell. I just knew the structure of how I wanted to create a company. And so in 2020, a lot of my friends and family ended up losing their jobs at the very beginning of the pandemic when there was all that fear and commotion. And I saw potential with working with some laboratories that had come out with COVID tests and they're the first ones to ever do it. And I started helping them market the product because I've been from sales. That's my background. And I saw that as a big opportunity that I wanted to get grab hold of because I felt like it was a product that I could actually see making a difference in the world. It wasn't just selling television or it wasn't just selling something that people like for entertainment. This was healthcare and this is something that could make a difference. And so I started a company in 2020 called Kill Medical, which was a sales marketing company to help my friends and family 
get jobs and have an opportunity to make money to take care of themselves. And it really grew and expanded ever since then. And so we started our own laboratory a year later to be able to control a little bit more of the process because there's a lot of things that we worked with the previous labs that I didn't like as much and I didn't feel like were done in the best way. And so we wanted to start a lab that we knew could really make an impact on the world. And that's how I started Vanguard Labs and it's grown ever since. Makes a lot of sense. So what you were trying to do, it sounds like, is perhaps create some new version or new generation of lab testing. Is that part of what was going on in your mind, Nate? Yeah, exactly. I'm a millennial and I don't come from the medical field, which I feel like is one of my biggest advantages. Some people may see that as a disadvantage, but I see it as a way to look at things differently and do things differently from what has previously been done. And so our customer service, the way that we interact with our clients and the technology that we're using is very different from the common laboratory out there. And you'll see that when you work with a lot of the people that we have in our lab, including the saliva tests that we have been coming out with. Yes, which we're going to be focusing on quite a bit here. So we're talking about clinical lab testing, and we have to step back then and ask you, since from my perspective, it seems like for me, clinical lab testing, there's two players, maybe three players in the game. What, in your opinion, from what you've learned prior to starting Vanguard and now in Vanguard, is the state of clinical laboratory testing today, Nate? Well, this is a really interesting question because we're on the tail end of the COVID pandemic, which really shook things up. We have these massive labs like Quest and LabCorp, which have been able to adapt and been able to adopt new methods during COVID and allowed them to make record years of revenue and profit. And then we have other companies that are more point of care companies that aren't diagnostic laboratories with physical spaces. They have little devices like Abbott which also was able to use the pandemic to bolster their shells and their company and the revenue. Then you have a bunch of little guys that started during the pandemic. And there was a lot of little bat labs, literally thousands of labs that were started all across the country by people that felt like this was a need that was in the country and I want to help fill it. So very entrepreneurial people started labs across the country and they did really well for a short period of time because there was so much COVID testing that was being done. It could be shared by many. Now that COVID, the pandemic has gone down, we've seen that a lot of these labs are actually going out of business because the only thing they had was COVID testing. And so there are some that are trying to adopt new methods or trying to adapt. And there's been a course that a lot of them fell through where they did COVID and they said, what else can we use these machines for? Well, the PCR machine can also be used for other infectious diseases like wound samples or fungal or other respiratory diseases. And so they started doing that, but there was a huge curveball that was thrown into the entire country last year when an entity called MOLDX, which is in charge of Medicare reimbursements from Medicare insurance, decided out of the blue that although PCR technology is better than previous methods like traditional culturing, uh, it's more accurate, it's faster, there's a lot of different advantages, they didn't feel like the price tag was worth it for what they were being charged. And so MoldyX decided out of the blue to cancel all reimbursements for all infectious disease testing that was that didn't meet their standards and that didn't go through their own processes. And that also hit a lot of these labs and a lot of the labs ended up going out of business and continue to go out of business because 
Although the methods that they're using for COVID were the gold standard with PCR, the country still isn't ready to fully adopt a better method that may be a little bit more expensive and it's struggling to be able to make up the money that it spent during the pandemic. Let me follow up on that. First of all, for those who aren't familiar with the term, and I must admit at the moment, I'm not, even though I have a little bit of a medical background, certainly in Medicare and providers and that sort of thing, PCR. Can you explain everybody what PCR stands for? Yeah. PCR test is a polymerase chain reaction technique, which is used to look at the DNA or RNA level of a sample. And so if I give you a sample, then there's typically two different methods that the laboratories are using right now to identify what disease is within that sample. There's traditional culturing, which is essentially where you put that sample into a Petri dish and you'll grow it out over a period of days to find out what grows. And then once it grows big enough or large enough, there's not enough of a sample in there to be able to see it. You can say, oh, this sample has X disease in it. And so that's one method. But the problem with that is what if one of the diseases or one of the things in your bacteria grows exponentially, but it covers one of the smaller things that doesn't grow as much, but is still there that could be causing major issues. That's why people are starting to use PCR testing because it goes to the DNA level and will identify what is in that sample at the smallest level that we can detect. Very interesting. And it's a little bit more expensive, but it's a much better process to be able to detect and identify what different pathogens or infectious diseases are in the sample that was given to the lab. Very interesting. It may answer another question I was going to ask you, Nate, based on what you said, which is what is broken with lab testing? Is it the fact that lab testing typically today is mostly just done the old fashioned culture way and it needed to be updated with this PCR testing you're talking about? Or is there something else that you feel was broken and maybe still is broken? Well, something that I'm sure, Jeff, you've seen with your podcast is that healthcare is very old and methods don't usually change very frequently because a lot of the decision makers are at an older age and they don't want to make changes because they're not used to them. And so healthcare just stays old in a lot of different ways and you have to really break through and it takes time to break into the current methods of doing things. So that's a big issue that has happened that COVID actually highlighted and helped us start shifting over. And although we had that curveball with the Medicare entity that said, you know, we're not going to pay for this anymore. They were paying for it, but they stopped paying for it. We're fighting that right now to push for better healthcare. Because if you can get a faster diagnosis, you're going to get faster treatment, which is then going to be more effective because you got it early on and you're going to be able to get better a lot quicker. And that's our goal is early detection of what you have and narrowing down exactly what we have early on instead of waiting until it's progressed three, four, five, six, seven days and then starting to treat. I get it. And by the way, I want to come back to something you said earlier. I fully agree with you that on the one hand, you could look at somebody and say, wait a minute here, you haven't spent any time in healthcare. What do you know about healthcare? But sometimes that's when you get the greatest ideas, whether it's healthcare or something else. Mm -hmm. Somebody coming in from the outside has a new way of looking at things, a fresh perspective. And that's sometimes why consultants get brought in because they mm -hmm. are from the outside. Nate, you've been talking about the state of lab testing, a couple of things that are happening right now with it. 
as Healthcare on the Horizon is a globally focused podcast. We are not U.S. centric. So when you're telling me about these things that are happening with lab testing, both the old and now the new, what's happening outside of the United States? What's going on in the rest of the world? Are other countries way ahead? Are we all doing about the same thing? And PCR is gradually nudging into the mainstream. What's happening? Reimbursement? What's going on? Yeah, it's a great question. So if you look at the global market for diagnostic testing, the U.S. covers more than one third of that by itself. Wow. And that's just because of how much regulation we have in our testing. We regulate testing more than anybody else. And so our standards are a lot higher, which is good and bad because it's great because you know that you're usually getting a more accurate result. It's bad because sometimes it takes a lot longer or is more expensive to do. And so other countries around the world typically focus on point of care testing, which you can think of an antigen, a COVID antigen test. A lot of people are familiar with those. You have your own little buffer that you put your sample into, and then you put it into the device and it reads it and it'll give you a strip for positive or negative within five to 15 minutes. And that is so much more affordable than sending and shipping it over to a lab to be run through a PCR molecular device. And so what other countries are typically doing is just using more point of care devices, which I personally love. The problem with that is that there there's a lot of inaccuracy with those and there's not a lot of standardized devices that have come up to par of what you would want them to be. So there's not a lot of standardized point of care flu tests or rapid COVID tests even sometimes that are very accurate. A lot of times their numbers vary. And I won't throw out any brands right now, but there are some very popular brands that were coming out at about 40 to 50% accurate. And if it's less accurate than half the time you use it, it's even worse using it than not because you're getting this false result. So that's what a lot of the other countries are doing. And everybody's working on developing point of care testing that is more accurate. And that's something that we're trying to do as well that we feel like we've been able to make some breakthroughs in, but it's much less expensive. And so they're not going to be using PCR testing very much unless you're at specifically a big hospital or something very dire. Would it be a correct statement to say that there really may not be an area of the world or a country that is doing state-of-the-art stuff, PCR testing, point-of-care testing, that's really cutting edge and everybody's looking at them? I feel like COVID really highlighted the fact that we need better testing out in the world. And that's something that a lot of companies right now are scrambling to come up with. And we're one of them where everybody's trying to come up with breakthrough technology that can avoid what happened in the healthcare system in 2020, where everything got bogged down because too many people were trying to get diagnosed and treated at the exact same time. And so one of our goals is to, in diagnostic testing, is to eliminate the negatives. If we're able to give a device that's point of care that you can do at home and you, we can eliminate the negatives and we find out which ones are actually positive and we're not going to 100% say that they are positive, but we are able to 100% say that those negatives are negative, that it reduces the amount of people that actually need to go and get treated or that need to go and get a PCR test. And so that will save the healthcare system millions and millions of dollars and also save people a lot of time. Because if I know I'm negative for COVID, okay, I don't need to worry about COVID or I don't need to worry about X amount of thing. It was just something else that's smaller. And I don't have to go and take the time of my doctor or the hospital. 
And whereas somebody who get the positive point of care test, you will want to back that up with something more accurate, like a PCR test, but it's going to be very rare that those people are positive. And so you're able to use it for the people that need it most. Okay. One of the areas that you're focusing on is using saliva as a way to test for various conditions. I assume that falls under this PCR umbrella. How common has the use of saliva been when it comes to doing laboratory testing, Nate? Great question. Saliva is, it's been the problem child for a long time. And if you take the example of drug testing, you'll see the drug testing in America has been around for since 1982, 1978, when they first started it. And since it started, it's been urine as the predominant method with blood testing being the the gold standard. But saliva has always been the problem child because it's very difficult to standardize. There's a lot of different issues that can you can come up with saliva. You could have not the right amount of concentration of saliva. You can get dry mouth. A lot of people get dry mouth and so they're not able to come up with enough saliva. You could have the food or drink residue. You could have leakage with the tubes, which happens very often with saliva tests during COVID. Saliva, it, it was kind of interesting. Nasal pharyngeal was the typical method to be able to detect COVID. And then it started to slowly shift in 2021 to saliva. And then it shifted back to nasal pharyngeal. I know that. And the reason why it shifted back was because it was very hard to standardize. People weren't getting the right amounts. There's questions about the accuracy and there's the tubes were leaking and shipping. And so they break on the way there and you wouldn't be able to get the sample. There's a bunch of different issues. Even with all of those hurdles though, the DOT and SAMHSA or the federal government have just approved saliva for drug testing, which is the first time they've ever done that. DOT, DOT, can you, I just interrupt. Yeah, sorry, the Department of Transportation. So all the planes, the trains, automobiles, everything in the U.S., they're finally accepting saliva as a valid method of collection in the U.S. because they now see that there are ways to standardize it and the accuracy can be as high as even blood sometimes. And so they came out and finally said, we're going to accept it, which is a huge move if you think about how long it's been since drug testing has been around and they're just accepting it now. I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about healthcare on the horizon. If you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or perhaps even my voice, please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, production of audio or video promotional profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers or raise funding, and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more about all of this and my other podcast, Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Nate, with saliva testing, what about it is different from doing blood sampling or urine testing? What makes saliva such a good potential medium to use? Yeah, 
because of how easy it is to use, I can give a four-year-old a saliva test and they can take it on the spot and there's no privacy issues and there's no contamination issues with blood. So privacy with urine is a major issue. You have to get a bathroom. You can't. There are times where they force people to watch them and there's times where they don't. But you can imagine, I've seen it in athletic sports where an older man is forced to watch a 13-year-old girl before a competition pee in a cup to make sure she's not on it at the highest level. That's a major issue that you can imagine. And blood, it's very difficult to be able to get a clean space to be able to do a blood test because of the fear of infection. When you're opening up the skin, you don't want to infect it wherever you're at. Saliva balances the two and it's something you can do anywhere and the the contamination issues aren't there either. And it's so easy that three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old could even do it if you do it in the right way. What is responsible, Nate, for saliva testing being something that might be coming to the forefront now when it didn't come to the forefront 40 years ago or whatever? What's happened here that's mm-hmm. changed the landscape for it? I think drug testing was is a big mover with that where now that they finally have accepted saliva, they've done decades since the 2010s and on, they've done studies to find out the accuracy of saliva. Can we really standardize this and get good collections and get good results with it? And it took them years and they pushed against it. But now that the numbers are really showing that saliva is a great method and that you can get a lot out of it. And there are professors and universities around the world that are now finding different markers within your saliva that will indicate whether or not you have cancer or whether or not you have a different type of infectious disease. And there's different things within your saliva that people didn't know existed there. They thought you could only find it in blood. That's fascinating. I'd like you to just elaborate a little bit on it, Nate. The diseases, that's something you Mm -hmm. must have anticipated. I'm really interested and I think the listeners would be in knowing, okay, So I get a saliva test and they use the PCR approach, DNA, RNA approach, right? Mm -hmm. What can they find out that maybe they could also have found out with a blood test, but now you can find it out this way and it's more convenient and so forth. Or maybe Mm -hmm. there's even other things they can find out, I don't know, that they couldn't find out with the blood test and the urine test. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question and one that I'm very excited about because that's what we're working on. This is the forefront of molecular diagnostics. And this is what will change the world, in my opinion, when it comes to testing, because now people will have access to tests that can help them detect things very early on. And it is very easy and get a point of care result, which is what we love. So cancer is a big one. There are many, many different markers within your saliva that will help you detect cancer in different parts of your body and different types of cancer, which is hard to believe and unbelievable at times. Yeah, But there are professors at UCLA and Stanford and all these different universities that are working on detecting and indicating these different markers. And so our inventor, Dr. Rauf Gerges, has been partnering with these different scientists for the past about seven or eight years, looking to put their different markers within our device so that people can detect it in their saliva. And that's what we're working on. So cancer, there are markers for infectious diseases that we've already talked about. There are markers for concussions which is also hard to believe that you can actually find concussion markers within your saliva that will indicate whether or not you are concussed. And that's something that could totally change the way that we do concussion testing and help, again, get people treated much quicker and avoid further problems with concussions as well. Sounds very exciting. Nate, as you know, healthcare on the horizon 
is in part called on the horizon because we're looking a little bit out ahead. So you being an expert in this new world of lab testing, whether it's done through a different approach, PCR, or done at home, what are you thinking might lie ahead in terms of how we do lab testing, what it can do, again, whether it's done in a laboratory setting or if it's done in your home, at least through the rest of this decade. If you want to go longer than that, that's fine. Yeah. The future of healthcare in general is to be brought to the patient versus the patient going to healthcare. And you can cover that in a lot of different facets of healthcare. But for us specifically, we want to bring testing to the patients to where they're at so that we can get on the spot results that will allow them to make a decision near immediately to better their health and improve their health. One of the big things that happens with technology is it improves is it gives us more time. AI is going to give us a lot more time. When the automobile got started, it gave people much more time to be able to do other things instead of just traveling or walking the whole way. They're able to drive there and get there at a much quicker pace and use that time for other things. That's the same thing for this. We want to detect things early on so that we can reduce the amount of cancer or infectious diseases that spread because they're treated almost immediately when it's easiest to treat. Preventative is the best, but the second best is right when you get infected or right when it starts to grow. And that's when we want to help people get treatment. I couldn't agree more. I'm going to give you a specific for instance, because I know some people who have had this condition either have passed away from it or are now dealing with it. It's a terrible thing to have. And I'm speaking about pancreatic cancer. And I'm just wondering, I don't know if you know the answer to this, if there's any research underway as you talk about cancers and saliva testing that could actually be able to identify as soon as possible. That's the problem with, say, pancreatic, that somebody is at great risk of, or maybe they've just begun to have a little tumor somewhere, in, in this case, in the pancreas. Is there anything like that that you can imagine either is going on or might take place? I can't say much. <laughs> about yeah. specifics because we're still working on a lot of them True. and some of the things are going to be confidential. But I can say that we have a lot of people that are very interested in these different types of cancers, like the one you mentioned, that want to get this out as soon as possible. And as soon as possible could mean a couple of years, three, four, five, to help people detect that type of stuff very early. I do have a personal experience of one device that we're coming out with very soon, within the next couple of months. I had a friend or have a friend whose son ended up getting strep throat. But they didn't know it was strep throat. They just thought it was a sore throat and they didn't treat it. They just, as most people don't, they were going to wait it out and find out what happened or if it progressed or if it would get better quickly. After about three or four days of doing that, it slowly took a turn for the worse and then near immediately put him into a coma, mm. which was pretty incredible for them in, in a bad way. And so they immediately took him to the hospital he was in the hospital for about a week and a half. He was on ventilation and everything, and he ended up passing away really mm. quickly. And this was just strep throat. It ah. was something that was very simple, that if they had a device or a test that could have detected it early on, that was affordable and accessible, they would have been able to treat it right away and most likely have saved his life. And that's a very personal experience because it happened about two months ago. And it's something that we are coming out with 
in a couple months is a respiratory panel test that'll tell you on the spot whether or not you have strep or COVID or RSV or flu or something like that. So that you can get treated right away because each one of those things will be treated very differently depending on what it is, even though the symptoms look similar and it's hard to tell what it is without getting a diagnostic test. So that is exactly what our goal is. is we want to help people get treated faster so that we can literally save lives. Most people don't usually think of diagnostic testing as being a huge facet of the healthcare system. They think of the hospitals and the doctors and the surgeries. But one of the things that we can do is prevent the spread or prevent the growth of these types of cancers in our body if we catch them early on. And that is the purpose of our company. And that is what we're trying to do to make it more accessible, more affordable so that we can save lives. Yeah, it's a wonderful mission. I want to have you step back for a second as we're looking into the future, what's on the horizon. If you think about the whole world, we're not just talking the U.S. here. Mm -hmm. Do you see there being a shift in the way lab testing is done occurring throughout the world where Europe and Asia, India, whatever, is going to embrace this new technology, this new approach? PCR, saliva testing, at home testing, which I know that's already begun. What do you see with that? Yeah. In fact, a lot of countries have already started adopting a lot of these different methodologies and a lot of these different products that are out there to be able to help detect things on the spot. There's a company that has a rapid PCR test, uh, Lucera. You've probably heard of them, but they have a rapid PCR test that you can do on the spot PCR testing. It's a little bit more expensive than what an antigen test will cost because the technology is obviously more advanced. But that's something that they got developed and they have a little fluke panel of influenza A and B and COVID that you're able to detect something within 30 minutes on the spot, which is incredible. Yeah. And there's also a lot of blood tests that are coming out that are on the spot blood tests. So you're able to have a little handheld device that'll take a little bit of blood. They don't need very much. And they're able to detect your complete blood count and do all the different blood levels that you would numbers that you would want to look for to find out more about your health. And so those types of things are already being adopted in other countries because their laws are less stringent and they're able to get it out. The problem again with that is there are times where they're not as accurate or as reliable. And so some of the devices may work really well, some of them may not, and it's hard to tell which ones are great because everybody says they're great. <laughs> Every yeah. company says they've got the best thing. Absolutely. It's already starting to shift because of COVID. COVID highlighted molecular diagnostics unlike ever before in the history of the world. And it's something that we, are, everybody are trying to take advantage of to make an impact that people don't always expect that we can. Okay. One of the things that we like to do on Healthcare on the Horizon is to tap into our guests' expertise and have them provide a couple, three tips to our listeners about whatever their subject expertise is. In this case, we're talking about lab testing. I'm going to ask you, what would you share with us in the way of a couple, three tips that would help us assure that we get the best lab test possible? Number one, I would say use PCR <laughs> instead of traditional okay. culture. Is it easy to find a PCR? Now it is. Yeah, it's something that you could Google and you can find a PCR lab test near me or PCR labs near me. And you can find out on their website very quickly if they do molecular diagnostics or if they're doing more traditional culture. That's the number one thing. The second thing, though, that I think is even more important 
is you want to make sure that the lab that you're working with has great communication. At the beginning of COVID, the country and the world was in a flux. Nobody really knew what to do. And so one of the things that ended up happening for a lot of people that went to the hospital because they had a respiratory illness of some sort is they would put everybody in the same wing called the COVID wing, whether or not you had COVID. There, they would test you to find out if it was COVID or if it was something else. And then if the result came back negative for COVID, they would move you out. That just sounds like a disaster <laughs> in my mind yeah, already. Yeah. Because there's many people that didn't have COVID that were put into COVID and then they got COVID because they yeah. were put into the COVID week. Yes. And my partner's mom actually went to the hospital during COVID because of a respiratory illness. They put her into the COVID wing and they took a test and they said, you're going to have to stay here until we find the result, the test. And they didn't think that it was COVID, but there were some symptoms that could have looked like it. And so they waited it a day and then they waited another day and then they waited another day and another day. And they started asking the nurse and they said, Hey, nurse, what happened to the result? Why am I still in this wing? What, you know, do I have COVID or not? And she said, I don't know. We're just waiting on the lab. So they pushed and her kids pushed and said, can you talk to the lab? Can you ask them what happened with this test result? They should have done this by now. And she said, Nope. Our policy is that once we send something off to the lab, nobody speaks to the lab until they speak to us which sounds like a terrible policy and it's not something that should be standard, but it frequently is. Yeah. And they waited another three or four days and then they kept talking to the nurses over and over again. And finally, one nurse took it upon herself to find out what happened. And she looked in the back room and found that sample had never even been sent to the lab. Oh, jeez. And she was in the COVID wing for about 10 days without having COVID. They tested her again and we found out that it was negative and it was something else. Wow. And so the number one thing that I would suggest is make sure that the lab has good communication and make sure that you can talk to them or get some portal access that will allow you to be able to get a result quickly. There are a lot of labs that still use fax machines to do their resulting. There are a lot of hospitals that, that only take fax machines or faxes to be able to get results. We want to update the healthcare system so that you can get a result immediately. There are ways to be able to text the result directly to somebody's cell phone the minute that it gets resulted so that they can know immediately what they have or don't have. Yeah, those are great tips. Just to follow up on the first tip about getting PCR testing, this is just the United States, but it sounds like it might be beyond the United States. PCR testing sounds like at least for the major federal insurers like Medicare, it's not being covered. Do you see that changing? Well, it's interesting because about half the country, it is covered still. Oh, it is. And then the other half, it, it's not. So Medicare has split up into three different parts that decide the reimbursements. And one of those three has decided not to reimburse for PCR testing at certain levels. And they make it very difficult to get any type of reimbursement, even for very small panels of three or four or five things. So I would suggest working with a lab that can get reimbursement but then also there are ways to be able to pay cash up front for tests so that you can get the right test and get the answer right away. If you're able to afford, that's going to be the best method because they know that they're going to get paid for it and it's not very complicated to do so and it doesn't cost them a lot to get paid for doing that type of treatment and you're able to get it right away. Yeah, I guess the only question would be for those who don't live in the United States, whether they're in Canada or other parts of the world, how easy it'll be for them to be able to get a PCR test and be able to afford the test. Right. Anything quick you could add to that? I'm not super familiar with other countries and PCR tests and how often they use it. I know that they are there. 
in different countries and they are available. But like you said, I don't know how accessible or how affordable they are, but there is a lot of technology that is coming out in the coming years that will help people to be able to get very affordable point of care devices that they can use. And sometimes you can even get three or four or five different point of care devices for the same price as a PCR test. And so if that's the case, then you could use three different tests to find out trial and error. Is this the right diagnosis that I'm getting? out of three out of four says that I'm positive, so I'm going to trust that it's positive. And that can be a very affordable way to do it as well. Okay, good tips. Nate, this has been great. Very exciting. You're at the forefront of what seem to be major changes in diagnostic laboratory testing. I agree with you. It's been pretty much standard for many years and maybe it needs a refresh. And that's what you're involved with. How can our listeners find out more about you, about Vanguard Laboratories, and anything else that you would want them to know about? Yeah, our LinkedIn page is updated daily. We like to keep people informed with what we're working on. We will be coming out with many different types of versions as they become approved and as they become validated of our tests that people will be able to use for respiratory illnesses, for different types of cancers, for concussions, things like that that are coming out in the future. So just stay up to date on our LinkedIn page and we'll be announcing it as well as our website that you can find us at VanguardLaboratories.com or KeelMed.com as well. And that's K-E-E-L-E-M-E-D.com. Correct. Okay. Right. Nate, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for being my guest on Healthcare on the Horizon. Thanks for having me, Jeff. That was great. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Healthcare on the Horizon. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Healthcare on the Horizon or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Thanks.